if any of you have accompanied an elderly loved one to a doctor's appointment or the hospital, my guess is you know when you encounter staff who are good at interacting with older patients and who seem to have thought about the components of the optimal care. However, far too often it's hit or miss, a hardly acceptable situation given the aging of the U.S. population, the growing utilization of health care services that often go along with the demographic shift, and the serious health consequences that can result when age is not taken into account. So how to get out in front of this situation? Well, a new initiative and the foundation behind it have a plan, and we're going to learn about it on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live every other week, and after the show, you can find us on IHI.org on on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. This month, five health systems are getting down to work to test out a series of recommended interventions designed to make their institutions age friendly. So we're in on the ground floor of learning about these best practices that eventually its designers hope in collaboration with the American Hospital Association will become the norm in 20% of all U.S. health systems by 2020. We have a very determined panel to reach that goal. They're on board to give you the details, so let's get right to introductions. But first, here's IHI's John Gothier. He's going to remind you of the rules of the road while you're with us today on WIHI. John. All right. Thanks, Madge. Uh, just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. On the right of the screen is the chat window, and if you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions, so make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants down in the send to bar when Madge opens up the floor to questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on WebEx to see all the questions and comments being shared. Now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged on to the computer and listening to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner labeled Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat, but a simple solution to any hiccups may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play. If that problem persists, please let the folks at IHI Customer Service know. I have their number on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hands on today's slides, I'll provide a direct download link in the chat. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive page over at IHI.org slash WHI, along with the chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at IHI.org, and they'll send them your way. Now, finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WHI. Please take some time after the program to fill out our very quick survey and let us know how we've done. Back to you, Madge. All right. Thanks, John. <clears throat> and we also welcome tweeting during and after the program. Thanks for including at the IHI and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets so others can be part of that conversation. All right, two introductions. Joining us by phone, we have Lillian Bonchero. She is a senior nursing director at Anne Arundel Medical Center in Maryland. She manages throughput and patient access, flexible staffing pool, central staffing functions, and the acute care for the elderly known as ACE Nursing Unit. She brought something called NICHE, I hope I'm saying that right. It stands for, so N-I-C-H-E, Nurses Improving Care for Health System Elders. She brought that certification to the health system, and you're going to hear evidence of why and what that's about in just a moment. Welcome, Lillian. And Lil, I get to say from here on in. Welcome. 
Wow, thank you very much. All right, uh, so we'll stand you. by, Lil, and we're going to do all introductions, and then we'll get to everyone. Terry created Niche. All right, am I saying it right? N-I-C-H-E? Niche. Niche. All right. Niche. <laughs> do people say it both ways, Niche? Some people make it French, Madge, but we call it Niche. <laughs> uh, let me tell you about my French studies. Okay, so Niche. Also on the phone is the creator of Niche, Terry Fulmer. She is the president of the John A. Hartford Foundation in New York City, a foundation dedicated to improving the care of older adults. Terry has a lot of accolades and has been recognized uh, for many years as a real leader in this space. I'm just going to mention one thing for her bio. You can see it all up there on the screen. She previously served as distinguished professor and dean of the Beauvais there's French again, That's College French. of Health Sciences and Professor of Public Policy and Urban Affairs in the College of Social Services and Humanities at Northeastern University. Welcome, Terry. Thanks, Madge. All right. And finally, here in the studio, a uh, nice opportunity. Kadar is usually on the phone. I want to welcome Kadar Mate. He is IHI's Chief Innovation and Education Officer. He oversees the development of innovative new systems designs to implement high-quality, low-cost health care, both in the U.S. and in international settings. Kadar is an internal medicine physician, and he's also an assistant professor of medicine at Weill Cornell Medical College. Glad you're here, Kadar. Nice to be with you again, Madge. All right, great. So, Terry, you're going to kick us off here. Uh, explain uh, for all the crowd who's gathered today about your own and John A. Hartford Foundation's passion to change attitudes and mindsets with how healthcare interacts and treats older patients. And I'm going to move some of your slides along. And uh, welcome again, Terry. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Madge. And, and, you know, this is just a very exciting moment for us to share some of our ideas with the audience today. Our foundation is so excited about this partnership with IHI and the American Hospital Association, along with some very prestigious and impactful health systems, which you'll hear a little bit more about but the whole reason that we're doing this is that we need to co-create together and advance a new paradigm that we're calling age-friendly health systems. The public has been introduced to the idea of age-friendly cities, and we just think it's a great paradigm for us in healthcare to really think about what makes sense and what we need to do to have the best age-friendly health system in the world. The mission of our foundation is to improve the care of older adults, and for over 30 years, we've had a laser-like focus on building the geriatric workforce through our centers of excellence in medicine, geriatric medicine, geriatric nursing, geriatric social work, and developing models of care for older patients that are well-tested, evidence-based, and they work. And we believe now is the time to harness that exceptional workforce and the models to bring to bear new ways provide care for older adults. So why do we care so much? We know that 10,000 people turn 65 every day, and the largest growing segment of the older population are those people over 85, many of whom have at least three to five chronic conditions, diseases, disorders, and they may be on five, 10, 15 medications daily. The complexity like this can lead to error, and even worse, human suffering. And that's why we are so dedicated to getting this work accomplished. Our priorities as a foundation are aimed at improving the system of care that older patients receive, supporting family caregivers, 
in ensuring that serious illness and end-of-life care is person-centered and directed by the older person's goals for care. So really three areas, age-friendly health systems, support for family caregivers, serious illness, end-of-life care done in a way that respects the preferences and goals that older people have for their own care. My passion for this work comes from my nursing practice early in my career and right through to today. We continue to treat organ systems instead of older people and trivialize what is important to them, which is usually independence and dignity. So it's true that, for example, if there's a cardiac event, that it might take precedent in the, in the moment of what needs to happen, but it might not, and sometimes maybe it should not match. So what I've seen is a disaggregation of the person's needs, a protocol for lung cancer that does not tie in at all with the protocol for delirium management, etc. So many of us have seen this, we're living with this, and we have to address it. They're conflicting medications, for example, that um, should never be given together and can result in uh, delirium, falls, other iatrogenic events that are so difficult and so unnecessary for these old, frail older people, any, any older person. So I think that, you know, what we really need to do is make sure that we not only address conflicting medication, but conflicting plans of care and the very poor communication across settings. And that's another area our foundation's particularly interested in. Everybody knows a story where a family member will say, well, they asked me, this first the nurse asked me, then the doctor asked me, then the social worker asked me, don't they talk to each other? Good question, Madge. And so that's why we have to get this right for the benefit of these people who are so vulnerable in these complex healthcare systems. So we really have to do this and make sure that we are paying attention to what they need and what they want and that we are ready to unfetter ourselves, if you will, with our day-to-day mandates and start thinking smart. So I'd like to say that also that when you think about our poor communication, there's something else that's going on in health systems, and I'm going to call it rampant ageism. Ageism, like racism, like like sexism, ageism is when you you ascribe negative stereotypes to older people simply because they're older. Our health systems do this regularly. They will treat the way the person appears to them instead of who the person is, and this is something we have to tackle in frameworks is uh, a group that is working with us at our foundation along with many other national foundations to fundamentally address this. But we have to have a, we, we have to tackle this. Our health systems at times have a sense that there's nothing we can do for older people. And we know that that's not true. It can change and it will. And some have argued that only policy changes and total payment reform can make the scenario better, but I'm convinced that practice change begins at the front line with strong support from key leadership, that C-suite, and then policy and payment can follow. It's very hard work, but we know it's work that we can do. And our geriatric models that we've worked so hard on at the John A. Hartford Foundation can assist nurses, doctors, family members, home health assistants, and the full array of care providers to give care 
as person-centered with the older person's goals well-known in a system across care settings. So that's part of my passion, Madge, and I, as you know, I could keep going, but I'm going to pause. <laughs> All right. Well, a good uh, pause moment. Thank you so much, uh, Terry, and I'll be interested to hear what the audience thinks about some of the themes that you've already raised. So uh, we'll come back to you. Uh, let me turn now to Kedar Mate, who's here in the studio. Tell us more about the new initiative um, and Terry referenced you know kind of creating some models here and I think that's the, the key turning point that's going on uh, so tell us more about some of the features and the design and what the health systems will be working on and then we'll hear from one of those health systems thanks Kadar great thank you Madge um, well so the 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 need for this initiative really starts um, if you will on the slide previous uh, which was given to us by one of the participating health systems uh, Trinity Health System and in this slide, for those of you that are just on the phone, what I'm showing here is the massive growth in the older population in the United States. So people over the age of 65 in this particular catchment area, in this part of Michigan, 85% growth over the next several years uh, in that population segment while we're seeing declines in, in uh, other segments of the population that are younger than 65. This on its own makes the argument, in my view, for a focus on age friendliness in our health systems today. This is where the demographic challenge that we face as a country and indeed elsewhere in the world uh, is this, – this, this situation is mirrored elsewhere around the, around the world. And I think we've got a real challenge on our hand in designing systems that can address the care of older people in, a, in an effective, efficient and safe manner going forward. The, the big challenge that I think we're also having um, uh, that we're seeing is that older adults are rece uh, routinely receiving care that they don't want to need. Uh, we see uh, time and again articles about this uh, and recent uh, newspaper articles in the, in the lay press in the New York Times recently about uh, families actually litigating unwanted care, which is going to be quite interesting to see how that, how that translates in the future. Uh, we know that older adults are harmed uh, uh, often by inappropriate medicines. A third of all adverse events in hospitals are medication-related in the elderly population. We have uh, we, almost everybody that is in, in a health system or in a hospital experienced some form of functional decline. We have uh, a, a, a high rates of avoidable delirium and cognitive decline, and we have a, a very significant number of needless harms and deaths in our institutions. But perhaps the most important uh, reason to focus on age-friendly health systems is what was seen in the uh, in this image, which was uh, a, a wordle, if you will, of responses to a survey that was done by Next Avenue. Um, Next Avenue uh, put out a survey with the help of the John A. Hartford Foundation and IHI, asking uh, individuals to describe what an age-friendly healthcare system would look like. And they said the things that are in, in this image. They talked about uh, being patient, with listening, taking the time to care for us uh, differently than we are currently experiencing. And that, to me, indicates a mismatch between how our systems are currently designed to provide care for older adults and how they need to be designed in the future uh, to do this work. Uh, what we see is that there are many geriatric care models that are very effective. And, and as Terry was uh, mentioning a moment ago, the John A. Hartford Foundation has for three decades supported the development of evidence-based effective care models that are leading the way and helping us to create new models of care and service for older adults. Very effective, good stuff that's available. But the challenge that we have is that most of these models don't actually get to the people that could benefit from them. And the, the real challenge is about 
scaling the effort um, and scaling it not at the microsystem level but at the whole system level, at the national level. And the other major challenges that we experience is that uh, most of these models are developed for isolated care settings. They're not developed for uh, across the continuum care. And in many settings, you have multiple care models that exist or coexist in the system at this point in time. When we started this work on age-friendly health systems, we asked the five participating systems how many of the care models that are in effect at this point in time somewhere in their system. And of the 18 care models, most of them said that they were implementing more than a dozen of those in their system at any given point in time. So you've got lots of different models in, in, in play across the system at this point in time. Um, so here's what we've come to. We've decided that, uh, you know, the John A. Hartford Foundation and IHI together with the American Hospital Association and five health systems, um, Ascension, Trinity, Providence Health System, Anne Arundel, who you hear from a second, and Kaiser Permanente, we said we want to we change this dynamic. We want to create a way forward uh, for age-friendly health systems in this country. And our aim is to create what we describe as a social movement, a, a true a movement of peers and colleagues towards age friendliness and we want to reach a thousand institutions by 2020. That's the sort of overall objective here. And we have a series of different specific attributes of that aim. We want older adults to get the best care possible. We want healthcare related harms to diminish, uh, be dramatically reduced for older adults. We want these uh, individuals to be satisfied with their care and we want value, importantly, to be optimized to create sustainability in our system. There are uh, four um, important changes that we're thinking about here. We distilled from the uh, 17 or 18 different care models a uh, list of common features, and we found, uh, well, we found over 90 specific care features of each of these care models. We, there, many of those were overlapping. We found 24 common themes. And then with the health system partners and a group of very, um, very uh, knowledgeable geriatric experts, leaders in the field, we distilled that down to four key principles, which we're calling the four M's because they all lead with an M. Um, and these are the four M's of, of what we think it might mean to be age-friendly as a health system in the near future. Um, and those include knowing what matters to older adults. Foundational to our understanding of better care and better delivery of care to older adults is an understanding, a deep understanding of knowing what matters to older adults and acting on, on that understanding. A focus on mobility that's uh, clearly uh, a part of almost every uh, better care model for older adults at this point in time. Uh, a, a real emphasis on medications. There was just some recent articles about medications and the sort of the growth of an, a movement around deprescribing. We know uh, that uh, 20% of older adults uh, in the Medicare system are in have at least 10 or more medications. Um, and we also know that anywhere from uh, 20 to 60% of the medications that older adults are on are likely not necessary for them to get uh, better care. And then finally, uh, an emphasis on mentation, both delirium, dimension, and, and depression. So those are the kind of the areas of emphasis for the initiative going forward. And what I'll say just in, in closing in this part is that we're building this for scale. Um, with the, the John A. Hartford Foundation and the American Hospital Association and these five systems, we've started with the concept of going to scale. We, we are not seeking a, yet another pilot uh, in a series of individual units around the country we're seeking national impact, and we're going to do that through a sequence of activities that starts with prototyping within the first five systems, 
um, and that rapidly moves to scaling within those uh, five systems. Now, some of those systems are very big systems, uh, Kaiser, Trinity, uh, Providence, Ascension. These are big, big systems. So we'll be moving towards scaling um, in those systems, and then we'll be creating on-ramps for other health systems to join us in this effort uh, as we move towards reaching uh, 20% of the U.S. system by 2020. Okay. All right. Should I show this next one here, how we will get there? Yeah, I'm just going to show two more, how we'll get there. And then uh, I'm going to – Sure. I'll just explain this really quickly for those that are um, Mm -hmm. listening about this. I mean, So what we know about how we're going to approach this is that if you look at Everett Rogers' diffusion of innovation work, uh, we know that uh, what we're what we're dealing with right now, the, the individuals and participants in the Age Friendly Initiative today, they're the leading edge. These are the innovators, the the thought leaders, um, and the folks that are going to show us the way. What motivates them is the idea of being together, working uh, creatively, and uh, being in relationship with one another. As we move from that original, you know, two to three percent of the population that's really interested in in kind of creating these age friendly systems, as we move to the early majority and the middle majority, we're going to need Need to reform payment, reform reg- regulation, create new policies, and work on information systems that enable these uh, age-friendly systems to take root. And that's all part of the design of this initiative, um, and it will come in due course. All right. Thanks a lot. And I just want to uh, pop one more thing up there. Uh, are some very nice and important people who uh, have helped. Uh, Kedar was referring to uh, experts in geriatric issues and all those who have had a role in this. And now our great listeners today, you too, <laughs> can become ambassadors and, uh, you know, help move all of this forward. All right. Thank you very much, Kedar. All right. We're going to now turn to Lil Banchero. Uh, to talk about Anne Arundel Medical Center, one of the systems of the five in the initiative right now. And uh, uh, this is a case of, uh, I have to say, as I started to look over little slides and learn more about what's going on there, uh, people are very, very busy at Anne Arundel trying to put some things into practice there. So, Lil, take it away. Thank you very much. Thank you, Madge and Terry and Kadar, for having me here today. And I'm really thrilled to be representing Anne Arundel Medical Center for the opportunity to work with IHI and the Hartford Foundation and the other national leaders in geriatrics to define the elements of the age-friendly system. And as I listen to the passion of Terry and Kadar, I just... I'm going to tell a quick piece of the story because this kind of describes... We're, we're very excited and dedicated to um, the the age-friendly system. And I just wanted to tell a quick story about um, a patient that we had here this just today, uh, this week. She was a 90-year-old patient recovering from a hip fracture, and uh, on the initial evaluation, she could only walk 10 feet, and after the second day, she could walk 80 feet, and on the third day, she walked 350 feet. When she first arrived, she was agitated. We had to keep her in the nurse's station most of the day. But I'll tell you, today, when I visited with her, she was able to tell me her name, how old she was, how she broke her hip, all as we're walking together down the hallway. And this all, I believe, comes from a great initiative that we put together about group therapy and mobility. So, and it's not always, um, it wasn't something we sat down and studied or researched. It was just uh, the group on the team uh, the team of nurses and, and physical therapists that realized uh, that this could be um, something positive for our population, and it has turned out to be just fantastic. The team has gotten together. They asked to borrow a room, and we said, sure, you know, whatever you want to do, and 
the next thing we know, we've got group therapy with five patients twice a week, then three times a week, now five times a week. And the um, we have patients, uh, families involved now, volunteers help get patients there, um, techs, um, and the families absolutely love it. And um, the patients absolutely progress faster in this group therapy than they would in the individual therapy. So those are the kinds of things that, with a little nudges from the IHI where we talk about the four M's, that kind of put us in a perspective of um, the wonderful things that we can do without spending a lot of time thinking about it. Let's just get do it. So Thank that's kind of that. our mentality. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's a good story. Very good. So tell us uh, so, a little profile of Anne Arundel. Right. So Anne Arundel is um, uh, one of the third busiest hospitals in the Maryland um, with 375 beds. We're a acute care hospital. Um, we, uh, oh, sorry, uh, we serve over a million people. And um, just so we were niche uh, uh, designated in 2002, and we still maintain that um, designation, um, all inspired by Dr. Fulmer's work. And in 2015, um, we, uh, in 2014, we earned um, magnet designation. And that's really important because that brings a, a different quality of nursing care and um, um, to the floors. So basically looking at our community, 45% of all admissions are 65 years old. So we knew through through um, analysis that our, we're in the middle of Annapolis. It's a retirement um, living area. Lots of people like to come here. We're by the water. Um, and a definitely increased volume in our, our 65 and older. And so as we built our, expanded our campus, um, leadership decided, you know, we were really going to focus on a geriatric inpatient unit, and we did. So, um, again, we're niche designated. We find niche very important because it lays the groundwork for education for all our staff. Um, the staff in, up on ACEs uh, has to be, is required to have yearly education through niche. And we have um, a very high percentage of geriatric certified nurses. Almost half of our RNs are um, certified. Um, and we do, this unit is able to top performance in falls, pressure ulcers, cloudy, and collapse. We're not on wood. We perform really well. We have very low incidence of any of these. Um, and so, what we think we have really strong here to help us develop these initiatives as we move forward is we have a great uh, patient family advisor group that really comes in and helps us and tells us what the patient really, what the families really are looking for and what they need, which is uh, fantastic um, to have that kind of um, input. Um, right now we have a mobility tech program. It's a little, um, this is where the, the physical therapist will actually put the order in for, say, patient to walk 20 feet, 100 feet, and our techs actually go in there, um, pull the consult, and then are able, it's their responsibility to document and walk that patient that day. So that's been very successful. Um, we have unit-based pharmacists, which is a really great resource and expertise. But, of course, moving forward with the four M's, we, we have lots of other plans here uh, to do different things. And then, of course, our ACE uh, mobility program has been uh, just awesome. So some of the fun things we did. So we figure, how do you motivate your staff? How do you get people up and coming? Let's do something neat. So we, after we did the work with IHI and, and the Hartford Foundation, 
took back the concept of the four M's and said, what do you guys think? And they, the nursing staff just loved it. And very quickly, we started having um, educational sessions about age-friendly health systems, what the four M's could mean to us, and how we could incorporate that in our in our uh, care of the patient. Um, and so the staff really came up with these fun things. We laminated these little cards and put them on their workstations. We gave little bags of M&Ms with all the four M's on it. And, that, and, and really it makes perfect sense to take this to the bedside. So we've decided during our bedside shift report, that's when two nurses are giving a report about the patient, we incorporate the four M's and it works perfectly because that's exactly what nurses say to each other when they're handing off a patient. They're talking about their mobility, their medication, their mentation, and what matters. So it's really blended beautifully into our handoff. And the same thing we did for our techs. Uh, we just modified it a little bit for their level of care that they take care of patients, but they also do bedside shift report, and they are also using the same um, um, framework for the 4Ms. So this is a picture of our daily exercise, and as you can see, um, there's family members in there, there's the physical therapist, and there's always music playing, and it's an hour-long session where patients are brought down in their chairs, do 40 minutes of exercise, but then each one of them have to walk back to their room. Sometimes it's only 10 feet, sometimes it's only 30 feet, but by the, by the third or fourth day, they're walking almost all the way back to their rooms. It's, it's amazing. and. Um, People actually, people that come back actually ask to have their ACE exercise. Um, we're, what matters to me is very important to the ACE unit, personal connections. We've always tried to work on that, um, but now we, uh, we really have a much different focus with using our 4Ms. And I just put this there because to this little lady, what mattered to her was having her dog with her while she was um, admitted to the hospital for four days. And she was up walking, and I think it, and her recovery was faster because we had our little dog here with her. This was the other thing where this a little bit goes back to what matters. These are our whiteboards. As you can see, the little boards on the right and our big boards now on the left. Um, those little boards with the geriatric population couldn't see them. The fonts were small. They were too busy. So. With family advisors, patients, staff, we devised, we, we designed a different kind of board with more color, more space to write, pictures, um, and then as you can see what matters, this particular patient was asking for safe, a feeling of safe and calm for that day. But what's neat about this project is as the other units roll out, still have boards that are designed more for them, like the PEDS unit probably will have giraffes all over it, but, but the what matters will have will be on there. So every board will have to carry what matters on it so that we have that through all the house on all the whiteboards. So we should be done with that by the end of the, uh, this coming year. And what drives me, like all of us, um, all these fantastic people that have been sitting, uh, went to Boston that we got to meet and obviously um, Friday afternoon calls with Kadar uh, is, was, um, my gram is my inspiration and my children, and this work is just so important to me and Anne Arundel Medical Center. Our leadership has been fantastic 
and is um, giving us everything we need to move forward. So we really see great things coming down the road. Thank you, Lil. And I, I realize we're, we're just kind of paying a, a rather rapid visit uh, to your health system uh, th- through these slides in your remarks, but we really appreciate it. And um, uh, Terry, I, I'm going to have uh, Kadar say something uh, in just a minute about self-assessment. We'll go to chat. But is there anything you want to say as you've been uh, listening uh, to either Kadar or Lil? I thanks, Madge. I think that Kadar really uh, reinforced and and drilled down on what we need to accomplish. But then, of course, Lil makes it real, brings it alive, brings our hearts and minds into it. We need our science, our hearts, our minds. We spend three trillion million, three trillion dollars a year in healthcare in the United States. A trillion of it is for older people. So, with that. And with all this passion, we know that we can get a better system where people like Lil, who have this enormous support and who are making this progress, that can become the norm. Okay. Thank you very much, Terry. I appreciate that. All right, Kador, just before we go to chat, uh, let's bring up John. This was uh, one of the earlier slides around the self-assessment. Uh, a tool uh, that um, is, is being, um, uh, you know, used by the teams and something that we wanted to make available to you as well. So we have a version of this that's actually now been posted to the age-friendly area of IHI.org and Vicki's going to stick that in the chat for you. But Kadar, talk about that. Well, one of the questions that we have is, uh, that we've been getting quite often is, uh, you know, how can we join the the movement? Uh, how can we join this effort? We're not uh, one of the five systems. We're not in the Ascension, Trinity, Providence, Kaiser, or Anne Arundel systems. How can we join you? How can we start working on this together? Uh, because I think what we've tapped into, just to say this, we've tapped into something here that's really interesting as I uh, start to work on this issue with colleagues around the country. Um, we've tapped, tapped into some a, a latent energy around uh, the care of older Americans, older people, and uh, there's just a tremendous amount of will and interest and energy to get started on this and to get started in a way that's part of the movement. So what we've been th- doing at, at IHI is thinking about how can we invest invite folks in. We, we like to say at IHI that we don't want to waste any will. Um, and so when people are saying we want to join you, we don't want to waste that energy. We want to, we want to find a place for people to join and start thinking about this uh, work in their own institution. So I'll give you just a couple of ideas. One starts with this self-assessment. So what we did with the five systems that are part of the initiative is after we built the 4M construct and the nine high-level interventions that are part of the 4Ms, we started to ask the health systems to evaluate their own systems in a couple of different dimensions. Uh, We asked them to say, um, what's your understanding of that intervention at this point in time at the places in which you care for older adults? And how well have you implemented activities um, uh, in those areas to help address the high-level intervention that's needed? Um, and so that actually was two different questions we've kind of consolidated for the purposes of showing you here in this in this image on the on the WebEx. But uh, it, you know the system started to respond and rate themselves as you know on a spectrum from strongly disagree to 
strongly agree as to whether or not they have un- that they understand what it would take to really deeply understand what matters to older adults, what it would take to improve mobility, what it would take to work on medications and mentation, and then also how much of those interventions have they implemented at this point in time in their practice. And so that's <clears throat> one thing that we would recommend that organizations start to look at. And then obviously where there are areas of, of uh, potential opportunity there to start deeply understanding what might be possible within those areas. The second thing I would suggest is that organizations that are interested in getting started ought to think about how you're measuring mobility, medications, mentation, et cetera, at this point in time in your system. Um, and almost everybody's collecting some form of measurement in these territories already. Uh, but starting to organize your approach to measurement um, is another step that uh, organizations are, can start to do uh, to help with the process of getting into the picture on this effort. Uh, number three is most of the systems that are part of this, of the five systems, most of them are getting started with the issue around what matters. Again, because this is so foundational to our understanding of what to actually do with older adults or how to help uh, provide better or uh, um, care to older adults. Knowing and being able to act on what matters uh, with our uh, elderly populations is absolutely critical. And I just commend you to two resources. One is the Conversation Project uh, toolkits, which uh, were built in part here at IHI but elsewhere uh, with partners and colleagues as well. Um, And that will help with some of the what matters issues around end-of-life care. And then uh, Dr. Susan Block has created some very uh, useful materials around serious illness conversations and uh, getting to the heart of what matters to patients that are grappling, wrestling with serious illness. So a a third area is around uh, starting with what matters and figuring out what, what people could do around that area. And just one last one is, and, and Lil actually taught me this, so Lil, uh, you may want to comment on this further too. But if you're working in a health system today w- or in a clinical environment, whatever your clinical environment, whether you're in a long-term care facility, a SNF, uh, uh, a clinic, a hospital ward, ICU, wherever, just pick the next two patients that experience a fall. All right, the next two patients that experience a fall and have your pharmacist look at their medication lists and see if there's any medications on that list in the BEERS criteria. These are medications that are known to cause adverse events in older adults. See if you have any medications on that list that that are in that BEERS criteria list. And if there are, uh, there presents you with an opportunity for improvement. And that gets you started in the process of, of, at a very small scale, doing some tests that can can ultimately, as you scale up, uh, have an impact at a whole system level. All right. Thanks so much, Kadar. All right. We, uh, excuse me, we went uh, through uh, a body of information uh, and a great example and now some uh, provocations of some things that you can uh, do by next Tuesday, if not sooner. So we're going to open things up now to chat. John, just uh, any quick reminders for the audience? Yeah, make sure that your questions and comments are directed to the uh, all participants down in the Sentu bar, down in the bottom right-hand corner of the chat. Thanks, John. All right. Terry, let me turn to you in my hope that uh, you're familiar with the age-friendly communities movement Um, and uh, if you wanted to kind of uh, speak to that, James is wondering if there's some thought to sort of bring that together with the uh, effort here around age-friendly health systems. Thanks, Madge. You know, and for the audience, I am um, not able to see the chat so let me... um, uh, see if I do this in a way that's most helpful. The World Health Organization about 10 years ago began a conversation about uh, age-friendly cities. And at that time, I was um, 
at the New York Academy of Medicine as vice chair and really saw how people could get engaged in that. And it just seemed to me that between age-friendly cities, age-friendly communities, the public understands what age-friendly means because it's it's out there. And so it made complete sense that we would align with this because, remember, age-friendly starts at your kitchen table. And that means that from the moment you're there straight through with your family, if you have an unfortunate need for an emergency room or rehabilitation, or as you join hospice in your own home, age-friendly communities will engender age-friendly health systems. It's, it's, it's going to be a, a nice tie-in. Okay. Thank you. You did that very well. <laughs> Not seeing the chat. <laughs> I, I was sure you would, would know about that. Well, I think also this speaks to the issue about the ways in which patients and families and others who are trying to make sense of uh, shifting demographics and sort of what daily life also uh, means for many older people. Uh, all right. If I could just add, Madge, Please. I know I'm not supposed to, but I'm going to. Yes, do it. <laughs> the greatest success story of the 20th century is longevity. If at 1900, you live to be about 43. By the year uh, 2000, you live to be almost 80. That's incredible. That is to celebrate. And it's for us as societies uh, to, to catch up with that, meaning engagement, quality, um, using that what Linda Freed calls the third, third uh, dividend. And so that's what we're talking about. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, I want to invite everyone to go ahead and uh, pop in your questions. I'm curious. Uh, I know we, we just kind of threw it up there quickly, but, of course, you can download it, and we provided a link around the self-assessment. I'm curious uh, if you've joined today because your organization is well on its way with some of these areas or you're wondering how you could uh, jumpstart things. Uh, I want to ask you, Lil, very quickly, um, what would you say about staff readiness uh, for taking all these things on? Uh, in listening to you, it sounded as though uh, people were really at the ready uh, to kind of move in this direction. Uh, but I'm curious, uh, is there any additional training? Are there new roles and functions needed? Do you have everything kind of uh, there kind of really for the asking? You know, we're really very blessed that we have very little to ask for because we have a lot of the resources we need. But I'll tell you, especially open, we from 30 beds to 42 beds, our ACE unit has grown in the last four years. So we do have a real focus on this kind of work. And everywhere, the ER is asking for help and the neuro care is asking for help. And people are reaching out to us to help with demented patients on the floor. We'll talk about mobility. So absolutely, Anne Arundel is right for this, and we are really excited about the work. And what, what you know, KDAR, we, we did start that experiment with um, the uh, drugs for two people looking at their drugs with a diagnosis of fall for two weeks, and it just generates so much um, energy um, on the floors because, all of a sudden, you know, the docs are going, wow, this is, this is really, to have that in front of them, to see the recommendations of the pharmacist and to see all the drugs and see somebody's really taking the time to really look at these medicines, it just blows the doctors away. They just feel like this is gold. And always what's going to be tough is how do we operationalize it and maintain it? So 
that's always going to be the big focus is getting it. We can get it going. We just got to sustain it. But the energy behind it is what I think will sustain it. It, um, their their readiness to do the right things for our patients. This is the right thing to do for our patients. This is the right care to give our patients. Okay. Just one other thing I would okay. come in here um, and just say, just to build on what Lula was saying, you know, when we, one of the common questions that we get around this uh, in this initiative, especially from leadership, is are we asking for new resources? Are we asking for new staff or new roles or you know that sort of thing uh, with this activity? And our answer to that question is 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 likely no. I mean, it was, we're still at the earliest stages of this effort, but we're not talking about, at least at the early stages of this, no major new bodies, no, no new investments in new staffing arrangements, just a willingness to do this work and to work a bit differently. Um, than folks have done before. What we're what we're really doing here is trying to create a more reliable uh, system around uh, ensuring that the, at least these four elements are practiced consistently across care setting, um, and and that is a. Um, it, that's the reliability aspect of this that we're hoping for. The other bit is that we're really asking teams to consider incorporating the 4Ms into existing operational elements that already work towards improving reliability. So if you have a daily huddle system, if you have some sort of regular communications or escalation protocol, if you have a visual management approach that you're using right now with a huddle board or something like it, bring the 4M concepts into that um, in your practice environment, whether it's in an inpatient unit or an ambulatory outpatient settings. So. Okay, thanks, Kadar. I wonder I just, I whether... Wanted, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Terry. Mm-hmm. I just... So, well, that Kinder uh, is really right because uh, we just incorporate what we already have going on, so oh, there is well. no additional... Um, and it works beautifully. It's yeah. right in. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Lil. Uh, and also, somebody is asking here about what about transitions in care, uh, a, a point at which sometimes many things can go wrong uh, if not handled properly, uh, whether that's something the continuum of care uh, would also be incorporated. Well, well, on that score, I mean, part of the rationale for, and Terry, you may want to speak to this as well, but part of the rationale for, this not being a hospital-focused initiative. Very conscientiously, uh, the John A. Hartford Foundation and IHI have chosen not to make this the age-friendly hospital effort or something along those lines. It, it is the age-friendly health systems initiative, and that is because we we would like to see these four M's translated across the entire pathway of care for an older adult, whether that care is being received or being distributed in the home, the long-term care environment, uh, the skilled nursing, rehab, or indeed in the hospital or inpatient setting. And the idea behind the four M's is that we create a common lexicon across care setting uh, so that uh, older adults can at least receive this basic modicum of uh, reliable care across care setting, uh, regardless of where they f- they meet care delivery. Thanks, Kadar. Terry, question uh, I want to relate to that. Do you think that this uh, some of these areas prove more challenging in the long-term care environment? Uh, there is something about the hospital setting or a rehab setting uh, that sort of sets up the expectation of somebody getting better or improved, and I think sometimes there's a mentality in a nursing home that people are wherever they are, and maybe are, are more apt to decline uh, uh, than get better. And I was curious if you felt there were any particular challenges to extend some of this, uh, these ideas into that longer-term care environment. Sure. Well, we're very excited about um, what is possible in long-term care. In fact, we have a grant 
called niche long-term care, which is really looking at that very question. But fundamentally, when we understand that it, that our systems are in silos, we have to create a continuum of care. Transitions are essential. Mary Naylor has taught us that. We've learned that from a number of leaders across the country. And that what we need to do in long-term care is, again, think about goals and preferences. Older individuals who are, we have to, we have to shift the paradigm to not one of you're going to get better. It's like, what is your goal? for this next phase, or your family's goals and preferences for this next phase. We often think of people who have dementia, who are not able to um, take to defend themselves against all the different elements of care going on around them. And that's where, where this whole notion of transitions of care, partnering together to make sure if someone with dementia in a long-term care facility transitioned to the hospital briefly for whatever reason, that there would be that that seamless communication that would create the, the most dignified experience for that patient and family. I, it's completely feasible, and now's the time for us to really um, pay close attention. Okay, thanks. Two questions have come forward, one having to do with whether uh, health systems are being asked to or maybe have already been tracking the impact of some of these uh, interventions and improvements on finances. Uh, I don't know if there's anything to say about that generally. Uh, Lil, is that something that Anne Arundel has looked at? Um, not as well as we should, and that's, that's a different, will be a different focus for that. So really... Not really at this point. We haven't. Okay. And all right. And what about, um, Kate, are any sense of that? I mean, is that sort of coming up as, as one area that folks may want to be looking at among the metrics around success? Yeah. Well, I will say that the leadership teams of each of the five systems are quite keen to understand um, the business environment around taking better care of older adults. So they're, it's quite clear that they are working on developing, and in fact the leaders of these systems that are working with us on the age-friendly health system work are, are interested in putting together an analysis of the impact of these uh, changes on the financial picture and health of the health systems kind of going forward. Our premise as we entered this, if you might remember to earlier in the show, was that the final point around this was that the age-friendly health system would in fact deliver better value to all actors, including uh, the health systems themselves. So that is that is at the heart of our, our thinking here. Okay, very good. And another question. I, oh, go ahead, Terry. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. To just say that, so the models of care that our foundation, along with other foundations, have tested in order to show um, that that there is improvement. When you think at hospital at home, if you take care of frail older people at home, wherever possible, wherever possible, um, you will do better. And I'll point out that uh, this March 2017 Health Affairs um, issue talks about delivery system innovation in a way that sort of highlights some of the points that you're asking and showing where there can be cost savings when when people get the care in the right place. The last point I'll make is about what I want to make the point about four M's that hasn't been brought up yet, and that is those elements are can be found in almost every care model that we know of, and they are not... Um, let me put it in the positive. They are proxies for best practice. And what we truly know is that if you get those four right, you're probably getting the next three waves of geriatric care principles right. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, there's a question about other metrics, and I guess that starts to uh, address that. I don't know, Kate, or in many ways, this again, this is sort of a way to frame some things that are clearly integrated and related to other quality and safety. Yeah, so, uh, so one of the questions is, um, you know, how are the metrics of success being defined here and are they integrated with some of the other existing prevailing measures? One of the principles that we've taken with this effort at this point in time is to have the measures actually be developed by the systems in part as they go about trying to execute this, this, this work in the, in the first period of this effort. Um, eventually we will arrive at clear um, and focused uh, measurements across all the 4Ms and at a whole initiative level. The way we're doing that is through outcome level measures that we expect will change not in the you know six-month time frame but in the two- to three-year time horizon. And those include things like fall rates and uh, uh, improvements in depression, delirium, dementia, et cetera, as well as length of stay and, and improvements in CAP scores, et cetera. But we're also looking at more proximate outcome measures within each of the 4Ms so that we will associate a measure of outcome as it relates to mobility, mentation, medications, et cetera. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, John, you want to make a brief mention of this, and then we'll, we'll start to wrap up. <laughs> yeah, let me find the slides all the way down at the bottom. We've had a lot of slides today. Yeah, so we just want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, National Patient Safety uh, Annual Congress. Um, it's the only conference that's dedicated solely to patient safety, um, and it's a uh, unique opportunity for practitioners, leaders, and experts around the world to come together and share their knowledge. It's being held um, May 17th through the 19th um, down in Orlando, Florida, and we recommend you check out more, npsf.org slash congress. All right. Thanks a lot, John. Well, thanks for all the comments in the chat. I just want to go around the horn uh, and as people have been asking about things there was, there was another question for example Terry about whether the age friendly ideas might become part of the niche uh, certification uh, I, I'm not quite sure you know if <laughs> uh, you, well, let me, you have a beat on that, that question is. yeah Right now, I'm in Austin, Texas, at the Niche 25th Annual Conference, and I'm giving a keynote called ah. Niche, the Keystone for Age-Friendly Health Systems, and I believe that Niche is a cornerstone for how we will uh, absolutely launch and accelerate this work. Niche has been nurses improving care. Now we're talking about systems improving care with all of the team, and I love it. All right. Thank you. That's great. What a coincidence. I didn't know. I, I didn't know that. Let me know if anyone says niche while you're there. Um, all right. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let me, let's just kind of wrap things up. I mean, I don't know if everybody remembers one of the slides we shared, which showed sort of the lifespan of uh, some of the work where uh, folks are getting down to uh, together, but it's a couple of years at least and, and more. And so you're going to hear more about this effort. Uh, we have an area on uh, uh, IHI.org and also on the Hartford Foundation website where we're going to keep updating, and uh, definitely you'll you'll get updates, and we want to continue to get your input. Uh, and uh, let's just go around the horn, and Lil, um, anything kind of on the horizon that you're going to be working on next? I know you were part of a meeting here about a week ago uh, with the other systems. Uh, did you come back from that uh, raring to go with some new things. Oh, my goodness, yes. Well, yes, and uh, it was the actually the rapid um, uh, experiments that we're doing with the um, 
medications um, and looking at how it might affect the fall rates of our elderly. And we started doing that uh, the Tuesday we got back, just like we were asked to by KDAR. And, um, like, again, it's, it's uh, yielded some awesome information. And we think this alone could impact so much for our patients. And it's medication is one of those things that we, we it's such a big part of our elder care and affects patients in so many ways that this really, to us, is a really exciting initiative. Um, and that's kind of what we brought back from Boston when we spent time with everybody. And looking at how we really change the culture of mobility in our hospital, um, that, and we kind of think about that. You know, everybody should be mobile in, in our um, institution every day. So how do we change that culture? So Perfect. Thank you, Lil. Thanks so much for all your help uh, uh, with preparation for today's program, for being part of it. KDAR, kind of uh, on the horizon. Well, I would say a couple things. One is that in in due course, the age-friendly health system team uh, will ultimately create uh, on-ramps for institutions all over the country and indeed potentially all over the world to join us in this effort. Um, we're going to be creating how-to materials, measure sets, advice on how to do, how to implement things, how to actually, you know, some of these practices that our teams are working through right now that appear to pull promise we're going to be uh, putting those together into uh, actionable, granular, specific implementation advice for all of you in the field, and we'll be inviting you to join us um, in in ways in the future. And so that's what I would say in terms of look look forward to that. I think it'll be coming. It will be releasing this type of understanding as we develop it with the health systems that are partnered with us right now. I do want to sit, take this time or opportunity to say thank you to the health systems that are part of this, the five systems uh, that are part of this. They're they're taking a, a risk on this on some level uh, because it is new and it is innovative and we're and we're grateful to them for doing that. Um, on the screen right now, for those of the, you that can see it, are this amazing group of health system leaders, of geriatricians, experts in the field, and advisors who have willfully given us their time and effort um, as they commit themselves to this effort. And finally, I just want to thank the American Health uh, Hospital Association for joining us in this effort and the John A. Hartford Foundation for having the vision uh, to build an age-friendly health system in this country. All right. Thank you so much, Kadar. Terry, some final words from you for uh, today. I would say finally just thank you to all the listeners for the heart that you put into this every day and for your willingness to engage with us. No matter where you are on the continuum, you're on the continuum, you're making progress, and we're here for you, and we want to hear from you. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Terry Fulmer. All right. Uh, great audience. Pre- appreciated. A reminder to everyone uh, that you can find all the elements we used on today's show on IHI.org by uh, kind of mid-morning tomorrow. Uh, you can also download them when you log off the show today. Uh, and if you have any questions or confusion or anything you, uh, further that you need to know right away, you can email info at IHI.org. Uh, Next up on WIHI on May 3rd we're going to be talking about the high stakes of healthcare policy something's been in the news recently and uh, we'll see if we can't uh, sort of take some stock of where we are with developments uh, in Washington and also that sense that how health systems uh, can persevere and keep going uh, with the important work 
that they're doing. So we're going to hear from John Chassere, uh, who uh, is the president and CEO of GBMC Healthcare in Baltimore. Um, check out, as I said, the archive pages. Also, you can find us on iTunes. And there is a great group of people who help make WIHI possible. They include John Gothier, Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, Jane Rossner, Haley Ladd, Christine Leong, Jameson Case, Stephanie Gary, and Val Weber. And I want to give a special shout-out to the age-friendly teams at IHI and the staff at the Hartford Foundation for all their help with today's program. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement and in honor of my 92-year-old mother, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day.